Okay, so welcome back. So summer reading by top recruiters. So we are with Danny Sarge, who is not only a, a top producer uh, and a past president of the Pinnacle Society, uh, and also a, a writer of various blogs and magazine articles, but more importantly, an English major from UPenn back in the day. So he's absolutely qualified to talk about summer reading. How are you, Danny? I'm fine, Dan. Thanks for calling. Yeah, and you're also just back from Israel. Like, when, was, when did you get uh, back? I just got back last night. So um, wow. your, your question about reading could be adjusted somewhat, but it was an amazing trip. <laughs> so Jews go to Israel. Christians go to Rome. Where do atheists go? Do they just stay at home? And, and <laughs> what do they do? It, it seems unfair. <laughs> It's Maybe. fair. It's a fair question, but uh, but uh, it's it obviously one of the fat to tell you or the others the that the many religions that are all in uh, around Israel. I mean, it's obviously part of the You're right. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a cool part, and it is on my ever-growing bucket list of places to go. So, all right. So, you did you do any reading on it? I know you sent me your reading list, which was fascinating. Did uh, did any of the stuff that was on your list? Were you reading it on the trip, or was it before the trip? Now, this is all stuff before the trip, uh, yeah, but I've got okay. a whole other list of things to go back to. And now that I've been to Israel, I guess we can start with, but I've ever read uh, Missioner Snuff. James Missioner wrote a book about, right. called The Source about the history of Israel, obviously up until the time that it, that it was written. So that's a new one added to the bucket list for just another 800-page book or something like that when I get around to it. So, right. uh, I'll so make sure to read that down the road. Yeah, Missioners is tough, man. They're a big book. So let's talk first about um, – I'm interested in everybody's, like, approach to this. Um, and some people sent me um, – well, it was clear that they spend their summer trying to, like, motivate themselves to be great recruiters. So there's lots of self-help books and sales books and all that stuff. And then there's other people that are still trying to get through – um, some opus that they were supposed to read in high school and never did and still feel guilty about it. But you you take more of a, I want to read books that take me away from my concerns about life, right? That's more your approach? Yes. Um, so uh, my mom passed away, as you know, uh, a number of years mm. ago, and she, she was the most avid reader that I know. She was reading two or three books at a time. So as a, a bit of a resolution, I'd, I'd gone through gaps where I would read and then not read like many people. And now my, my resolution, which I've been able to keep, is to always be reading a good book, and which means I'm more discerning. So if I don't like something, uh, I'm much more likely to then put it down and say, sorry, it didn't hook me. There's just too many good things to read. So, right. uh, so I, 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 I try to read something that is interesting politically, as you saw from the list we'll talk about. I, I love thrillers and spy books, but only when they're good. So I try to be picky about that. And, uh, and then, you know, your stuff candidly got me into memoirs, and I've read a few uh, good ones since, since yours. So uh, yeah. I, I, those have been the three big genres, I guess, that I've been reading. Yeah, so I've, I've never read thrillers, and, and I guess I, I misunderstood what they really were about because, uh, like, I mean, I realize there's a difference between, like, uh, thrillers that are horrifying thrillers, like the Stephen King genre, you know, um, and more of the whodunit sort of thrillers. But I guess my thing was always like a book to me was like, now I'm doing some serious stuff I'm reading. And to me, I was like, well, if I want to, if I want to see a Stephen King work, then I'm going to wait for the movie because I'm thinking <laughs> of misery. Like the movie was so amazing. But so do you get the same sort of like thrill ride with the, the book versions of these thriller books? 
Or is it different? Yeah, it different? Um, yeah I, I think that there, there are benefits to both. I mean, sometimes based upon, uh, you know, sometimes the movies are done really, really well. Uh, and sometimes not. So you happen to pick one, Misery, I could have easily have added to my list. I love that book. Um, yeah. and, and some of the psychology in there in the book you just don't get in the movie. And, and obviously the visuals you can't get uh, in the book that you're reading. So some are just equally, done equally well. Um, but uh, to me, the thriller, I love the spy thriller genre. I guess I should have been more yeah. specific. Though I've read a lot of the Stephen King stuff. I, I don't like fantasy too much. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, though I've done, uh, Stephen King wrote that book about going back and trying to uh, fix, so to speak, the Kennedy assassination. So there's a, just the, the science fiction nature where you have to base, accept the premise that right. the guy can go back in time. <laughs> and you laugh at that, yeah. but once you do, it's consistent with that. And as long as there's that consistency, I can accept it. I just, I'm not a fan of the, the pure fantasy, otherworldly type stuff. Right. So the one that you were so um, uh, impressed with, you said the single best of, of all of that genre is I Am Pilgrim by Terry Hayes. Is that a political thriller? It's not. So this one is, uh, it's a spy genre. So it's unusual mm-hmm. in the spy genre. It's told in the first person by the protagonist. And uh, it, it was just so well written and surprised me at every level, uh, but in a way that was just, uh, uh, what's the right word, realistic for within the genre. Yeah. He wasn't a James Bond superhuman type. Uh, he had his flaws. Right. Um, you know, he got taken advantage of, uh, of, he succeeded and it, it was told in multiple, you know, he was told in the present and then, uh, backwards and looking forward. And it was so uh, different that it's something that stuck out and it's one I've recommended many times and has always been uh, a hit every time I've recommended it. So, uh, I'm a big cool. fan. Yeah. So I'm just curious when you read that, did you do what I do like and go right to Amazon and go, what other stuff has Terry Hayes written? I gotta, or you were just like, no, one time I'm out. No, I I, you're, you're Terry Hayes right. and I, No, no, I, I did, and and he had another book in the queue uh, that was due out, uh, I think, two years after I, I read it, and then it was delayed to like 2050. <laughs> I got an email from Amazon. <laughs> yeah, so, he gets uh, emails. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Terry Hayes apparently is working on the screenplay version of I Am Pilgrim rather than writing a new uh, a novel. So presumably we will see it in the theaters at some point where you can then say, yeah, I guess I'll read the book. Or I'm glad I read right. the book. But, uh, right, right. But, uh, but so he hasn't, as far as I know, I don't think he's written another novel uh, and has been a screenwriter in Hollywood for a long time. Um, and this is his only novel. So that's disappointing. That's interesting. You're, you're right, because I often will pick up um, a, a novel. For example, there's one by uh, Joe Nesbo that I could have put down here called The Headhunter. Uh, mm-hmm. so which is uh, Joe Nesbo has a series of uh, whodunit uh, with a single protagonist, and this was outside that, and it's about the adventures that a headhunter gets into when he gets in over his head with a with a client. So I think maybe we should add that to the list uh, for your people about uh, checking out your clients before you maybe do the assignment. That's that's the lesson <laughs> from the headhunter by, by Joe Nesbo. I feel like yeah. I feel like I could write a whodunit. With featuring a headhunter only with my people, it's more like who didn't do it because nobody <laughs> seems to do anything uh, that I want. So let's let's jump a little bit to the President's uh, Club because I feel like I'm a like a history guy and I feel like I know history. But when you said that this is a book about how Herbert Hoover um, helped rescue Europe when he was asked by Harry Truman, I was like, wow, I am so out of it. Like my recollection of of Herbert Hoover was. Like he got us into the Great Depression, was like the worst president ever, was embarrassed by FDR in 1928 and never heard from again. 
But that's actually not true. He actually lived a very long life. In fact, I read after seeing your your list, I, I went to Wikipedia and there's a link to a YouTube. He spoke at the 1960 Democrat uh, Republican um, convention. Yeah, he, he lived spoke. in the he lived yeah he lived in the Waldorf. Um, it was thirty two that he lost to Roosevelt. Yes, um, oh right, 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 and not twenty eight. And, and you're right, he was blamed mm-hmm. rightfully so for a lot of the Great Depression and and was ridiculed by uh, by Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. And yet took the call. He was a wealthy man, lived in the Waldorf mm-hmm. his whole life, lived another you know thirty odd years. Mm-hmm. And uh, Harry Truman was the president, as we all know, uh, during the rebuilding of Europe, and Europe was starving. Uh, when we all have, have the pictures of these major cities that were just bombed out and refugees everywhere. Um, and Europe was ready to starve, and there was the Marshall Plan, but how do you execute that? And apparently during World War I, um, uh, Hoover had done a lot of that. So he was instrumental in a logistical uh, savant uh, in those days in terms of supply chains and things to happen, and he was absolutely instrumental to saving Europe. And that was just the amazing. first story. But it, yeah, it's amazing. An amazing story. Um, and, you know, including, I don't know what this tells us, but uh, the, the, we go up to Nixon. Nixon was the only president who, unfortunately for him, had a period of time when there were no other past presidents alive at the same time that he was in, uh, in office at the end of his, uh, before he resigned in, in the 70s in his second term. Um, uh, once uh, LBJ died and Hoover died, right. obviously Kennedy had been uh, dead and Eisenhower died. There were there were no presidents alive, and Truman I think was the last of the longest of all those. So once Truman died, there was nobody alive for uh, for Nixon to consult with. Not that he necessarily listened. And then the other irony in bringing it up, uh, whatever people think about uh, Trump, Trump has the advantage if he wants to take advantage of it that there are no more. Uh, there has never been a time as of right now when there have been as many ex presidents alive. Uh, as we have right now. So there you go. Yeah, and it's what I remember about uh, Nixon was that, of course, he was persona non grata, um, and nobody wanted to, you know, he carried like 50 states and nobody would admit they voted for him um, <laughs> after Watergate. But um, I remember reading after the fact, of course, because it was, you better do it behind closed doors, that Clinton would reach out to him and say, what do you think? That Reagan would reach out to him and say, what do you think? And certainly George Bush, who you know worked for Nixon, but you couldn't be on record as having consulted Richard Nixon, but everybody knew he was a really, really smart guy. And I'll be fascinated and shocked, of course, if 10 years from now, we find out that on occasion, Trump would call Obama um, and say, hey, look, uh, no hard feelings. I don't care where you were born. What do I do? I mean, it'd be amazing <laughs> if that's the case. Uh, I agree. You know? I agree. Yeah. And, but I wouldn't and be you're surprised. Right. Nixon had, had, you know, there's a lot about Nixon and the presidents that succeeded him. And he was very, um, I don't want to say instrumental. There's nothing that sticks out from reading the book, but he definitely was consulted by uh, every president after, I don't think Ford did for obvious reasons right after uh, he was the president right after Nixon resigned. Right. <laughs> but uh, many presidents consulted with him. Absolutely right. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, those are the kind of books that you read. And you just, um, like I just read the Grant biography, and there's two things, you know, it's like 900 pages, and there's two things that come out of it for me. One is, like, deep uh, awe and respect for these historians who can tell you what, you know, Ulysses S. Grant ordered uh, at, for breakfast. Um, you know, in 1863, uh, right. and I'm like, I don't even know what I had yesterday. I, well, how do they get this stuff? So you get this deep respect, but then there's this feeling of like um, satisfaction of like, I'm smarter. Uh, I just finished this biography and 
it's almost like it must be how like how people feel when they eat kale. Like I, that was a good thing I did. I read a biography about students, and sometimes books just make you feel smarter and better about yourself. But then you said you. This is the one we'll end on because I thought it was such a. Uh, dichotomous to what we've been talking about. Scrappy Little Nobody by Anna Kendrick you recommended, uh, which is a collection of essays by that young actress from uh, Pitch Perfect and Up in the Air, who's a phenomenal actress. I had no idea she was a writer. And you said, what made you buy that book? That's amazing to me that you even bought that book. Yeah, I, I was just reading the New York Times book review, and it happened to have a good review ah. of it, and it, that made me laugh. Um, and I had, even though I saw Up in the Air, I didn't associate it with her, but my right. daughters uh, were fans of, of the Pitch Perfect movies, and there she was. Sure. Uh, so I remember being impressed with that. So as a, as a lark, and like we can do an Amazon, I, I downloaded the sample, and, and it made me laugh. So I said, I'll, I'll yeah. read it. And, and it's like a coming-of-age story. Um, you know, she's very, very candid. She talks about, you know, some sexual experiences without naming any names, but as a young actress and, and said, like, this is the chapter mom and dad don't read. Skip ahead, please. And, and, there, <laughs> and you know, the times that struck me that something you've always thought, Danny, is, you know, fake it until you make it in terms of right. young headhunters. And she had these when she was invited to these parties and she really was still broke because she wasn't paid a lot or she had a lot of time in between right. jobs, but she was expected to show up on the red carpet, you know, looking glamorous. And and, mm-hmm. and she talked about very candidly about some of those struggles uh, as a young actress and, and being uh, stereotyped and being uh, walked on. I'm not saying that she doesn't have any giant Me Too stories. It actually came out before. Uh, really right. all those Weinstein stories came out. But it was still very instructive and, and very funny. So she has a tremendous sense of humor. She brings you right into the experience. Uh, it makes you realize that, you know, overnight successes are, are, are rarely truly overnight successes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they work really hard to be overnight successes for a exactly long time. Right. Yeah. Exactly right. And it, but it, it is always astonishing, though, when you see someone who you assume is an actress sing. Like when I first heard Pitch Perfect, I was like, oh, she sings? I thought she was just that sort of quirky little actress in Up in the Air um, and in the uh, movie The Accountant. She's also great in it. And, uh, and then, you know, when I see that she's a, uh, an author, I'm just like, well, some people just get too much talent. That's just not right. That's amazing. That's you and know, some phenomenal. people say it's just yeah. not right that Meryl Streep sings at all. So there you go. So sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would be in that camp for sure. Yeah, it's also though fun. Uh, I don't know if this happens a lot to you. I do the same thing with the New York Times book review, but um, I sometimes just wander bookstores and just you know sometimes they have the editor's choice or uh, readers. Uh, selections based on the staff of the Barnes and Nobles. And I'm like, what do these people know? But I'll look at those. Or sometimes it's ridiculous stuff like the design of the cover or the hairstyle of the author. But it's such a, it's almost like when you're home and you're flipping through channels and you see a movie star and you go, I have no idea what this is, but okay. And then you find it's a good movie. It's like such a thrill. It's like such a find. It's fun when you just like are stuck in an airport and buy a book because it has a quirky title and you go, wow, that's, that was a really fun book. That never would have happened to me. I never would have picked that book in a million years. Um, and it's always so much fun when they turn out to be entertaining. No question. Um, the the other one, uh, I don't know how much time we have, but you know, the Supermensch book uh, by a guy named Shep Gordon, who I never heard of. And that was actually the way I learned about that was from a candidate uh, who turned down our offer. So uh, he turned down the offer, but he really handled himself professionally. It was hard to argue with his rationale as much as I'd like to. Um, and I, I think I'll place him down the road, but I called him a mensch 
And he had just read this book, They Call Me Superman. She recommended it to me. It's also a documentary. So there's one you can either read it or watch the documentary, which is done by Michael right. Myers. And, and this guy crossed, you know, had this instrumental part of our world. Anybody who has any interest in, in entertainment over the last 30-something years, uh, this guy was behind the scenes. And a lot of it was just being in the right place at the right time. Uh, but there's some great stories. So that's the other one I really like. It's called uh, They Call Me Supermensch by Shep Gordon. Shep Gordon, uh, right. Which you said is also a documentary by Mike Myers. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Uh, cool. Yeah, so uh, it was just really good stuff. Well, that that actually says uh, to me that's, that is uh, edifying for recruiters because they spend so much time on their emails and not enough time on their subject lines. And, you know, I published two books and both times – the publisher beat me up the first time I didn't know what I wanted for a title. Um, and they were like, we've got to find a better title. We've got to find a subtitle that works. We've got... And I was like, why? Um, and it's amazing how much people put into titles. You know, they call me Supermensch is a great title for a book, right? Because anybody who knows that term, um, it, it's a very informative title. Um, and you know, my second book, I had the title before I even wrote the book because I was living it. I was aging disgracefully, so it was easy <laughs> for me to do it. But um, if recruiters would spend more time on the attractiveness and um, the fun element, um, what is informative about your subject line, uh, more emails would be opened. There's no question about that. I mean, we, and, we, and, and, we put and, way too much emphasis on titles for books. And uh, the other part, right, is obviously catching them, right? What is the hook? And, and the very first story right. tells, which is such a hook, and I'll, so I'll give it away here. People can read the details. I think they'll like it. But he, he literally moves out to Hollywood on a lark and is staying in some hotel, and he hears noise outside like he thinks that a woman is being attacked. So he goes outside with like a baseball bat ready to be the knight in shining armor, uh, and instead he finds uh, Jimi Hendrix having sex with Janis Joplin. No joke. And really? It's yeah. a disturbing visual. Yeah. Disturbing visual, but he becomes great friends with them, and Jimi Hendrix loves this, you know, this Jewish kid, you know, out of nowhere, and introducing the people, and he takes advantage of it. But it's this great opening story. That's how wow. he essentially gets into the business, right? So how do you not love that hook when you read that in the very first story? You're like, well, I guess right. I'll read more. He's got me. Yes, you you got me. Right. That's your first story. I bet there are a lot of good right. ones after this. Absolutely. So last thing, when you were in that plane, would you, would you say most people were reading a book, watching a movie, listening to music? Where, are, where is reading in the culture in your mind? Oh, just boy, that's, that a good, that's a good question. I, I think most, well, on the way out there, everybody wanted to sleep, so that's probably not fair. On the way back, right. less so. I, I'd say movies dominated. Yeah, they've got yep. those info systems on the plane. Uh, and to be fair, I did a while, you know, I, 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 on the way back, I, coming from Israel, I had a book called The Holocaust. So that was, you know, very light reading for me. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> sure. And, and I picked it up, but I can only read like 10 pages at a time. And then I watched a two hour movie and then I read another 10 pages. So not quite, uh, uh, the same, but yeah, I, I think a lot of people were reading, but more often people were watching, uh, or, or something on, on uh, either their iPads or whatever tablet or um, the entertainment system within the plane. So I don't think that speaks about the culture. It just maybe just uh, the nature of getting it free and leaning back and having 10 hours to kill. Um, so uh, I don't think it's a fair, uh, it's a fair example of what you're looking for, but. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? I'm, I'm just curious. It's just, it's a time when everybody's trapped. Um, but yeah, visual medium, I think uh, is, is always an airplane going to be, 
the first choice. But I, you know, I, I hear a lot of people um, listening to books with Audible, and I'm not sure how I feel about that either because I want to hear my own voice as I read. But I'd rather they use Audible than not read books at all because I think it it just makes you better over time. Yeah, look, a very a very close friend of mine who was also an English major uh, at Penn the same time as me has got a miserable commute into Manhattan every day and where he drives, uh, and he he swears by Audible books. That's like how he passes yeah. his time. And instead of being made crazy by the traffic, he just enjoys the time that he has by himself with nothing else going on and and listening to a book. Uh, yep. And he says sometimes it's done really well, uh, and sometimes it's not, and that. Sometimes he'll then have to pick up the book and, and because he doesn't like it, but it's been better and better. And very often the author, uh, him or herself, that is doing the reading. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it's the next best thing, no doubt. All right, I know you have jet lag. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, buddy. Anything for you. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you Take soon. Care. See ya. Bye-bye.